Well, we're going to continue in our uh, summer series in the Proverbs. If you've uh, been here over the summer, you know that uh, we're, we're in the, the portion of this series where it's kind of one of those hopscotch Sundays, uh, where uh, the bulk of Proverbs is really uh, these tidbits, uh, these nuggets of information that go through. So there's going to be a lot of page flipping today, and I'll make sure uh, to try my best to give you uh, the heads up of where we're going next, to give you time to be there. Uh, But the topic today is harmony in the home. And uh, this is one of those really important topics to to go over, especially in our really busy, busy culture. But I just want to get something off my back here. Uh, Do you ever have this feeling like you're being watched? It's just... I'm not sure the point of the, the rhino up here, but walking up here, I felt like this is ominous presence over me, so... Uh, so I'll try my best today to, to work through that. But Now, harmony in the home, it's, it's, it's one of these things where it shows that wisdom, the wisdom of God is this incredibly practical endeavor, that when you pursue wisdom, when you become a student of God's word, that it affects every single part of your life and every single moment of your day, and uh, especially your, your relationships, right? And there's no closer relationships than those in your own home. And when I say the word a perfect home, a perfect home, this is going to mean something very different to every single person. And for some, they think if we could just get that new remodel in the bathroom or just the one extra bedroom or if we can have the right amount of money or whatever it might be, usually your mind goes around this American dream mentality of the home. And that to you becomes the perfect home, but really homes are built through family relationships. And God's wisdom points you towards making good relationships in your home first, and everything else comes second. I just skipped ahead a couple points here. I'm not sure how I did that. All right. So the key to the happy home here, and really the key to uh, working out of this unhappiness is, is pursuing Wisdom, But, you know, there's been no uh, time more uh, prevalent than right now that, that any household can chase any number of things with ease. There's endless opportunities of things to pursue. Plenty of things, plenty of experience, and yet right now our country is primarily dominated by broken and unhappy and unsatisfied homes. But the key to a harmonious home is not about what you have or what you experience, but rather understanding whose you are, who you belong to. And when you align your home under God first, then your relationships become harmonious under him. God created the whole world in his wisdom. It's through his wisdom that he spoke things into existence. And your household is part of that world. That through his wisdom, your house, your family can be made complete. So the very first thing we're going to look at is a family with the right priorities. And if you want to start opening up your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter 24, uh, we're going to be reading verses 3 and 4 out of that. But a family with the right priorities... As I just said, you know, there's plenty of things you can be chasing in this world. And when you think about a happy home, 
Most people think if we can just be financially stable, if we can get our bank account to a certain level, then our home will be happy. Or maybe it's the the career or the awards or whatever it is, and you're, you're chasing that vice president job or whatever it is. If you think you can have that, your home will be in the right spot. Maybe it's just getting a whole nother home. What we really need is a vacation home or a cabin, and then our, our household will be complete. And when you have that mentality, and all these things are not bad in and of themselves, but when they become your first pursuit, you enter the rat race. And you get so wore out chasing all of these things you're convinced will make you happy. It's the things you think you need that you're missing what you actually need. What you need at the foundation of every house is God and his wisdom. That's where we read here from Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. It says this, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And there's three words we want to key in on here throughout this. Built, established, and filled. And this really talks about the whole process of a home, from the foundation to the building blocks to it being uh, complete, to it being filled. And it starts with wisdom, as we read here. By wisdom, a house is built. And what this is really talking about is the foundation, right? Everything you build your house upon. And if you have a home or you shop for a home, you know the importance of looking at the foundation. Because this tells you a lot about the house. You can have new windows and new shingles and new additions, but if the foundation is bad, you want to steer clear from the house. And Manny and I have been married now for 14 years. Uh, We actually just had our anniversary last week, and it, it seems like forever Uh, 14 years. I know to a lot of you, you're saying you're still newlyweds. Uh, But 14 years ago, uh, shortly after we got married, we moved into married housing at the the college that we just graduated from. So uh, we both graduated. I went to an internship. And part of the deal is they gave us like super cheap housing. I think it just paid for utilities. Uh, But we didn't have much of a a choice in what we got. And, And fortunately, we got put in one of the upper units. Uh, we almost got put in one of the basement units. And these buildings were old, and the foundations were beginning to crack. And, and we found out from our downstairs neighbors that there was such uh, cracks in the foundation that bugs were getting in, mice were getting in, snakes were getting in. And uh, this is one of those moments I was just very thankful to be up on the upper level. But this is exactly how it works. If wisdom is not the foundation of your home, there's great vulnerability. And icky things and dangerous things can start start to sneak into your home. And there's no real structural integrity to your family if wisdom is not the foundation upon which you build. And Jesus, probably quoting that verse, uh, by wisdom a house is built, finished up his Sermon on the Mount with the same idea. And he he talked to all of those who had listened to him through this long sermon. He said, those who take my words and put them into practice are like a wise builder. And he talks about the one builder who builds upon the rock, the wise builder, the foolish builder who builds upon the sand. And when the storms come in, the house on the sand crumbles. 
But the house in the rock, Jesus, his word, his wisdom will prevail. And that's how homes work, is that wisdom needs to build your home. And that's the important as you're considering all of the pursuits in life. They're not bad in and of themselves, but to become bad if they become your priority over Jesus. And no matter what you're doing and what you're pursuing as a family, you have to have the time to be praying together, to be studying God's word together, to be talking to one another about spiritual things, to be seeking God in all you do. Because if you don't start there, you will fail. It goes on to say that through understanding, it is established. Now, in the Proverbs, the word for wisdom and understanding and knowledge are all rather synonymous with one another. But the word established is, is interesting here. It's, it's actually uh, viewed in two ways. And one way is that established really means reestablished, or that God will turn in your, your home into what it's supposed to be. And you look all the way back in the beginning, in Genesis 3 and 4, there was a happy home in Adam and Eve and in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then things went sour very quickly. The family got dysfunctional really fast. So if you think you have a dysfunctional family, you, you probably do. But it started with them. It started with them. And what happened is that they spurned the wisdom of God. God told them how things were supposed to be, and, and Adam and Eve both said, mm, No. We're going to do it our way and the way we understand it. And they ate the forbidden fruit, and immediately they felt shame in front of one another, and they hid. And then they started to blame one another for their problems, and their sons became jealous of another to the point of one killing the other. And things got ugly fast. But what this is telling us is that through wisdom, through understanding, God can reestablish your home into what it's supposed to be and, and build it back up. And it's not an instant process, because the other way this is seen is as a continuous sense, that it's continuously being established, that we are learning and growing through wisdom and and being made into the family and the household that God intended us to be. And finally, we see the end of that idea is that through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So what this means is that, that you are intent on God's wisdom, you're going to be filthy rich. And no problems, right? No, not, not quite, not quite. The Proverbs tell us that you can have all of the money and the things in the world and be wealthy in the standards of the world, but be incredibly poor in your spiritual condition and your relational conditions. The rare and beautiful treasures that are being talked about here are the relationships in your home. When the home is in harmony and people love and respect each other, It is a rare commodity. And I've done enough weddings and funerals to know that there's a lot of skeletons in the closet of every family because these seem to be the places that these things typically come out. And oftentimes I'm the officiant of this. I'm more of an official, like a referee and, you know, the the pure mediation of things. There's a lot of things happening in every family, all of our families. And to see these relationships intact and flourishing is rare and beautiful. The most beautiful treasure you have in your home is healthy relationships. And that's found through pursuing Christ. Jesus is the source of all 
wisdom, and he will make you wise for daily and family life. So if you want that healthy, harmonious household, it's, it's not through pursuing a thing, wisdom. It's through pursuing the person of wisdom, Jesus Christ. Your children, the children need parents that display these vibrant and authentic relationships with Jesus before they can have these relationships with one another. And when they see that in you as parents and as grandparents and as adults of any kind of influence, it's impactful to them. And that's going to enhance your relationships. Families who prioritize their pursuits correctly will start the journey towards harmony in the home. Now, the second point we'll be making today is children who honor their parents. And all the parents said, Amen, Amen, right? We're going to open up to uh, chapter 15. We're going to see 15 verse 20 here in a moment. But I want to take a moment. I know we released a lot of our kids to uh, the the class this morning. There's some older children that are here today. Uh, But there's a journey for all parents uh, that you see with your children. And there's this beautiful moment when they are little. They fit in your hands. Uh, And they need things, but relatively speaking, if you give them what they need, they're happy. And then when you set them down, they just stay there. And and they don't talk back. And and then they start to move. And then they start to talk back. And they become more autonomous. And they want to make their own decisions. And all of this is a beautiful thing. It's what parents want. But kids, young adults, teenagers, if, if you're in that spot where you feel like you know everything, you probably do know a lot. Okay? But your parents probably know more. And they want the best for you. And so there's a reason that the middle of the Ten Commandments is the fifth, right? Children, honor your mother and father. Because the assumption here is that the mom and dad are pursuing Christ, and they want what is best and what is wise for your life. And when you respond to that, there's great joy. When you are disobedient to that, there's great burden. And that's the, the verse we see here. Uh, I misspoke. It's actually Proverbs 10, if you want to uh, go back a couple of chapters here. It says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. And here, father and mother are used somewhat interchangeably. It's, it's talking about them as a package unit. And son uh, really means any child. So girls, you're not off the hook here. This is talking about you too. But a wise child really brings joy to the parents. The foolish one, that, the one that's going against all of the good wisdom and counsel to the best of your ability, is going to bring grief to the whole family. And there's a lot of hardships in these homes. And I'm going to tell you something Uh, To to all of you who are living at home with your parents, your parents aren't perfect. And you're probably thinking, "Uh, duh, I know that. (laughs) They're going to make mistakes, okay? And if you're the oldest one, they're going to use up most of the mistakes on you. They're not perfect. But they love you more than you will ever know. You will never understand how much your parents love you until you have kids of your own. 
And they always want the absolute best for your life. They're not here on this mission to make your life miserable or to harsh your mellow. They want you to grow up and be a mature and autonomous and independent person in the Lord who makes all of the best choices, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. And when they ask you to do something, it may not make sense to you in the moment. It may be different than what you planned. But your role is to honor that and respect that. You can even disagree with your parents while still respecting them and honoring them. Because when that tension arises and you make foolish decisions, there's a study that was just released that said kids do dumb things. It's like, duh, right? Kids make mistakes, but when they continue to make mistakes in defiance to their parents, it brings grief to the whole household. So to all of you who are living at home still, honor your parents and respect them and know that they're doing all of this out of a deep and profound love for you and your future. We're going to move on from the kids, and we're going to talk about the wives here before we talk about the husbands. So you can uh, open up to Proverbs 31. And some of the women are going, uh, Proverbs 31. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of pressure in a woman's life, societal pressure. Okay, there's, there's pressure on both men and women. All right, but women, I think, have the short end of the stick here. Because men can just kind of wake up and go outside. Uh, it can look like you just took a 15-hour nap and haven't showered for a week and just kind of be the slob and they're like, yeah, it's, it's a guy, you know. Women have so much pressure on themselves to always have their hair did and the makeup on. And, and it's just really this unfair uh, imbalance. But to, to compound that, you read like what we're about to read here in Proverbs 31. And there's this just larger-than-life figure who's haunted uh, and terrified women all over the world for thousands of years. Because they look at this, this perfect woman who's got everything going on, and, and they think, I need to be exactly who she is if I want to be successful before God and in my family. So it's important here, before we read uh, from Proverbs 31, to know what this is. All right, this is a poem of a figurative woman. This woman didn't exist. And it's from a, a man, King Lemuel, who's wanting his son to look for the right things in a woman. And this is really giving you not the picture of what you need, but the picture of what we should be looking for and, and growing into. It's a, it's a poem that's speaking somewhat figuratively here. And even in Hebrew, this is known uh, as the poem of the alphabet wife, because as you go through all these qualities, which we won't go through all of them right now, but it's going in alphabetical order of the Hebrew alphabet of what they are. So like in our language, it would be like they're awesome and blessed and confident, right? So this is literally like the A to Z woman, the, the perfect wife and mother. And so some women feel the pressure from this and say, my goal should be perfection. And the reality is if you start there, it's only going to serve to frustrate or demotivate you. But rather, these attributes are to be your direction for growth. And we're going to read the first two verses here to start. And again, this is, this is King Lemuel um, talking to his son. These are the kinds of things you should look for in a woman. A wife of noble character who can find. 
She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Now, this just kind of gives the baseline of really a, a role of, of a woman in marriage. And, and we get this sense, we're going to talk about roles just for a second today, especially as we talk about the husbands, that, that wives are to be the, the tag along or the, the housemaid or whatever it is. A wife, a, a woman in the Lord is so much more than that. And it really becomes this strong partnership between a man and a woman. And here it talks about a, a wife of noble character. And the word for noble is interesting here. It actually means strong, strong. And in some of the old translations, it says a manly wife, which is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. But it's really this, this strong and confident woman that she's not going through some sort of identity crisis to, to prove to society who society says she's supposed to be or, or prove to her husband that, that she's something more than he wants her to be, but it's that she knows exactly who she is before God, that she is a daughter of the king. And the strength really plays out in different ways as you go through this poem, which we won't today, but it talks about the ways that she works the ways that she contributes to the family, her kind-heartedness to the poor and afflicted, her fearlessness about the future, that she's light-hearted and loving, and she works hard to make her husband better, look better, that, that she speaks with wisdom. There's so much more here, and this is all found in someone who's not trying to live up to some sort of unhealthy or unrealistic standard, but they know exactly who they are, that their identity is found through Christ. And because of that, she knows who she is and she knows what she can give away. And she's willing to give herself away for the betterment of her family and those around her. And, and, and many moms do this so naturally. But it's one when you see it through your context of your relationship with Christ. A man who finds such a woman has indeed found something more valuable than rubies. And men know, should know, that a woman like this is very precious. And now it says that the husband has full confidence in her. And what this means is that he trusts her in these partnership things. He doesn't need to have dominion or control over her, but that they become this equal team. And his heart, is how many translations say this, his heart has full confidence in her. The deepest part of himself trusts her deeply and lacks nothing of value. He sees her as the earthly greatest treasure, earthly treasure, and that he loves no one more than his wife, but Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of the wives here today are saying, I'm just, I feel like I haven't quite reached this level with my husband. I feel like I haven't lived up to this place that he can view me in this way, and you feel defeated, and you're hearing this voice of, I'm just not enough to be this kind of woman for my husband, and I don't know if I ever will be. But here's the deal. Out of the billions of women in the world, your husband chose you. God chose you and your husband to be together. And God sees you as the ideal woman for your husband or your husband to be. And you are a precious gift to him. And you have to view your marriage through that context first and have confidence in who you are before God. And not only does your husband value you, but God values you as well. 
and a life with this perception becomes praiseworthy. And that's how we're going to finish this as we finish out that chapter. That her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And this is not praised above Jesus, of course, but praised in who she is, that she's this strong and confident and self-sacrificial woman before God and her family. Now, most moms are reading the first line, her children arise and call her blessed, and are saying, wow. Not that they call her blessed, but their children arise. How do you get your children out of bed? That's amazing. But we see this whole family coming together, the children and the father who really, and this is just kind of a hint to dads, okay? Husbands, say affirming things about your wife. Build her up. Do it in front of your kids and set that example. Because when you have a woman who exemplifies these things, it is a beautiful and rare thing. But uh, ladies, if you want to read all of, of uh, chapter 31 on your own night time, know that it is, it is hard work. But in the end, it is a praiseworthy thing. That the woman who is confident before God and knows who she is and plays these things out in her life is praiseworthy. And 30, verse 30 uh, shows us the right perspective here, that charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. And this, again, is the things the world is telling you you need to be. Those things don't matter. All that matters is that the woman fears the Lord. The woman seeks wisdom. The woman pursues Jesus. And when you do that, it is a praiseworthy life. All right, now moving on to the husbands here. I already kind of spoke to you a bit there. I'm going to have you uh, turn to Proverbs 23. Just go back a little bit. And I just want to say up front for, for, for husbands, for fathers, the best thing you can do is to be there. Be loving and devoted. Be there. Not just physically, though that's a good start, but relationally. Be there for your family. And so often men misunderstand this idea of being head of the household. And that's a biblical idea. It's in Ephesians 5, and that the, the wives are to submit to their husbands. And, and so we, get, we, we read things like that, and we understand this through the context of power dynamics. And that's, that's not at all what it's saying here. You know, we read things, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And we kind of close the book. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. I really, I really like the sounds of that. So I can just come home and, and she does whatever I want. I, I wouldn't have the audacity to come home from work and tell Mandy to make me a sandwich. Because you know what she would do? She would make me the best sandwich she's ever made and serve it to me with a loving smile. And she'd heap burning coals on my head, is what the Proverbs say. She would do it. But that's not the point here. It's not this power dynamic. And, and we see the words head of the household and wives submit to your husbands. You know, it leads men into two different dangerous areas. And one is being domineering. 
that they come in and they want to rule every aspect of the household. The others that become passive because they say all the work is done by the wife. And I, I just make the money and you know, they, that, all the house stuff is, is done by her. But when you really read this in context, it's neither of those. The parts you skip in Ephesians 5 or 21 is that, that husbands and wives are to submit to each other or serve each other. And if you go on to read further after that, it says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, when you're called to be head of the house or, or leader of the family, this is not something to feel powerful it's not something that you gain. It means you're in a position that you have burden to give and to give everything to the point of Christ and what he gave for the church. Husbands are to lead self-sacrificially and to be there in the homes. And that's where we see here in, in this, Proverbs 23, verse 24. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Now, what's interesting here is that oftentimes in the Proverbs, when it talks about the father and the son, it can be used kind of to mean both father and mother, and son can mean everyone. In this case, son really means, or child, son means everyone. But father in this sense means father. The father is to be really involved in their kids' lives. And we have this perception that, that in some families that all the child stuff, that should be the mom. And the child just, you know, the father, they just kind of come in once in a while and, you know, give a little hug. And, you know, the father should be really involved. And we have a pandemic of absent fathers in our country. Just recent statistics say that over 70% of homes feel that the fathers even though they might live in the home, are largely detached from the family. And they're just always gone, or when they're there, they're not really there. 50% of homes, over 50% of homes, have split parents where the majority of their time is spent with the mother. And they might see the dad once every other week or once every other weekend at most. And over 25% of, of children in America have their biological father completely gone from the picture. And, and the effects of this are detrimental uh, there's, a, there's another study called the Fatherhood Project, and it's, it's been going on for years, and they're just releasing all of this information now, what they're finding about fatherhood involvement and the effects on the children, both positive and negative. And overwhelmingly, fathers who are involved in the home and devoted to their children, you see great effects happening. It's a myth that, that infants can't attach to dads, and, and some think that because, you know, the mom does the breastfeeding and the nurturing and all of that, that the, that the babies aren't interested or it's not possible for them to attach to their fathers. But it's just as, as possible for the fathers as it is for the mothers. And when they do so, interesting things happen. The children are healthier. They, they actually uh, learn how to breastfeed quicker. I'm not sure how that works. They gain weight faster. They even have a higher pain tolerance when they attach the father as well as the mother. When the father is involved in discipline in the home, and this means setting clear boundaries and expectations, it leads to better emotional, academic, social, and behavioral outcomes for the children in their teen years and beyond. Children who feel a closeness to their fathers are two times as likely to enter college after high school or find a stable job. 
They're 75% less likely to become teen parents. They're 80% less likely to spend time in jail. And they're 50% less likely to develop depression or emotional disorders. All of these worldly studies are just now catching up to what God said thousands of years ago. Dads need to be involved in their kid's life. The father of a righteous child has great joy. And a man who fathers a son, a wise son, rejoices in him. There's this joy to being a dad and being there with your kids. It also uh, tells us in the Proverbs, if you open up to uh, chapter 5, that, that a real man of God is going to be devoted to his wife above all else. We're going to read just two verses out of here, but just a little bit of context on uh, 5. I, I put 15. I really should proofread this stuff. Uh, <laughs> chapter 5. Chapter 5 we're in. Uh, a little bit of context on this. This is really a part of a larger section talking about this figurative figure, the adulterous woman. And, and really what this is, it's not a specific woman. It's, it's talking about the temptations of sexual sin, especially for men, when it compromises their marriage vows. And, and chapter 5, verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern and, and running water from your own well. And what this is saying is that if you want to effectively love and lead your wife, you need to be a man of your word. And when you enter into a marriage, this is a covenant marriage built on a promise. And you can never be a good man if you don't keep your promises. That you are to drink from your own well. And what this really is talking about is like the, it's the marriage bed. It's talking about this relationship you have from your wife. And there's tons of temptations in this. There's always been, but potentially now, more than ever. And, and things can be alluring, and, and they can ensnare you. And, and so much of this chapter is talking about the dangers, especially for men, with these things. But if you want to be a good husband, and you want to keep harmony in your home, then you need to be committed to your wife in all things. And it says in verse 18, the rejoice uh, that your fountain may it be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And this is saying the one that you started with, whether for me it's 14 years ago or for some of you 55, 60 years ago, that wife from your youth you need to continue to rejoice in. And if you continue reading after that, it really gets kind of Song of Solomon really fast. And it's talking about this, this romantic relationship with your wife. Marriage is so much more than a business agreement of I'll make the money, you take care of the kids, and we'll meet together once in a while to discuss our plans. Marriage is this dynamic, romantic relationship with your wife, and you're to rejoice in them. Rejoice in them. Because the reality is God has built in all of us this desire for passion. And if you don't pursue that within the context of marriage, it's going to find other outlets. Take time to rejoice in your wife. Being the head of the house is not about getting what you want. It's about giving all you have. Be there for your wife and seek sacrificial service to her. 
The last verse is really just a good way to conclude all of this. This is in uh, chapter 17, if you want to flip there. And this is just kind of what a harmonious home looks like. It's a family, a family who loves each other. And it tells us, children's children are a crown to the aged or a crown to the elders. And parents are the pride of their children. Children's children. This is talking about grandchildren, right? How many of you are grandparents in here today? All right. Now, how many of you have the cutest, most wonderful grandparents in the world? I was hope all of your hands would come back up again, right? Grandparents love their grandchildren. There's a certain pride that's there, a healthy pride in them, because they become a, a crown to you. And we see here that the parents, parents are the pride of their children. And you see this intergenerational uh, things going in both directions, people being proud of one another and, and loving one another deeply. And so when you do this well, this is really the, the end result, that elders derive this sense of purpose and reward from their descendants, and they want to learn, they want to teach everything down, grow down into their descendants, and, and children get this sense of self-worth and identity and pride of their parents who are, are good and godly people. And then it just keeps happening, and it keeps growing in this direction. And as long as homes keep seeking wisdom first and building everything upon that, this just keeps happening until the cycle is broken by foolishness and rejecting God and his word. And then comes the conflicts and the disparities and the self-destructive behaviors. Wisdom is the path to a healthy home. But wisdom is also the fuel to a healthy home. You need to keep seeking it. And then, it's, and then through a cycle, you keep teaching it to these generations that one after another will cherish the next and pass them on. These are one of these things you might be walking away today and saying, boy, our house has some problems. All these other people in church sir, seem to have these perfect families. And this is one of those messages that is going to apply to all of us, your pastor included. There's always ways to be improving and seeking God in all you do. But I just want to encourage you with one thought. No matter what you're seeking, no matter what you're pursuing, never let it come ahead of Jesus. Never. There's a lot of great things to do in this life, but when it compromises your relationship with Jesus and your family's pursuit of him, you need to rethink it. It's through wisdom that you have a happy and harmonious home. Let's pray as we close. Lord, I just want to thank you that, that there's so much you can teach us, and even in a message like this, there's 20 times things more unsaid than were said. And so we might be leaving today wondering, how do, where do we even start with all of this? God, I, I pray that you would just speak to all of us. The place we start is you. It's just seeking you and trusting in you, and building that relationship with you. And when you do that, God, our relationships start to become sorted out with one another. So may, may we, God, just seek you first in all things today. And I, I just pray, especially for those families that are having hardships with, with kids, maybe it's, it's grown kids, maybe it's parents, maybe it's extended family, whatever it is, God, may they, they, they see you as the source of their reconciliation and repair in those relationships. 
May they grow closer to you through this time. But God, we know all things are possible through you and through your power. May you just bless these families, bless these households. In your name, God, we pray this and we trust in your power and that it all be for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.